Now we know that, don't we? Know that life is just better together. But last month, CNN reported new new research that showed that that being alone increasing increases your likelihood of an early death by thirty <laughs> percent. Not just being alone, but being in a crowd like this and feeling alone is, in fact, itself a warning signal. Now, this is a global problem. It has some uh, some rather unique solutions. Hey, there we go. In Japan, you can avoid dining alone by um, by having a stuffed animal companion for you. Uh, and so, uh, we're going to have this up. There we go. Not that either. Okay, good. Uh, if you can picture for a moment sitting at a table and having a giant life-size stuffed animal across from you uh, while you're uh, while you're trying to eat your meal, and, and you can sign up for that. There you go. <laughs> and and this is a real deal in Japan to avoid being lonely. That's just weird. I don't care who you are. That's just, that's just strange. In Portland, Oregon, earlier this year, there was the first ever snuggling convention led by Samantha Hess. She is what she calls herself a professional snuggler. <laughs> and she says the non-sexual touch of another person in a safe setting meets a real need. She said people have a need to belong and connect to others, and affection is one way to do this. God said it's not good for man to be alone. He understood that. Life's just better connected. Take the moving guy off the thing. It's driving me crazy. Okay, we don't have to have him up there anymore. All right. But Western cultures, we love the power of the individual, don't we? We like the rights of the individual. We fight for individual rights. We value their rights so much it's kind of given way to a, a rampant individualism. And so, so many of us are demanding our rights and saying, I want mine no matter what your rights are. I still want my rights. So we like life connected. It's just better as long as it's my way. <laughs> When our technology creates a kind of privatized world in which we, we control the settings. Not just on our smartphones, we control the settings in, in our life. We design the world we prefer. So even though we're connected on social media with thousands and thousands of people, we have an increasing struggle to connect or even have a good conversation. I have a young friend of ours who he talks about going out with her friends. She's a, a senior in high school now. She goes her friends and they'll all sit around the table together and text one another. Right there together. And they're texting each other. They've forgotten how to have really a conversation with each other. Life may be better connected, but we really, really like being individual. Now, that's the world we live in. It's hard to shut that off. So we tend to bring that same sense of individualism into our faith lives. So living the Christian life becomes a matter of personal preference and individual choice. Was that really a bad thing? I mean, I thought a relationship with, with Jesus was personal and individual. Yes, it is. You, you've seen this. We've shown you the three circles diagram several times over the last several weeks. We looked at that and seen, and we remind ourselves of God's design for all people to be in a relationship with Him, for all things to be in harmony, to live for His glory. But that there's brokenness that comes into the world because individuals choose to sin and rebel and say, no, I want to be in charge of my world. And God, in His goodness and grace, we've already reminded ourselves this morning in the Lord's Supper, has provided the gospel of Jesus, whereby His life, death on the cross, or sacrifice for our sins and resurrection, He provides a way to take care of our brokenness and the penalty for our brokenness. But every individual must repent and believe. Repent of their, their 
self-choice and rebellion and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to recover and pursue God's design. So every individual, an individual must repent and believe for themselves. In other words, God has no grandchildren. There, there is no group plan for salvation. Yes, it's true. An individual must respond to the Lord. But, but what's next? After you've trusted Christ, what's next? Well, there's a life to live. And for the most part, individual Christians have a, have a freedom in kind of how we shape the Christian life. What elements are involved and in what quantities they're there. So we may take some spiritual habits like Bible reading or prayer and worship and serving others and how we do our family. We put all that together into what we call the Christian life. And it's probably going to look exactly the same for everybody in this, in this room. But it's always interesting to me to look at and see, well, how much of involvement with the church does the person include in what they call the Christian life? But some of you are like me. You were, you were practically born in a church. Your first word was Jesus. The first time you had great juice to church was in a sippy cup. <laughs> you, you've been there for your whole life. Others of you, maybe you got kind of a negative deal with the church, bad taste in your mouth for the church, and so involvement with the church for you is it's sort of like eating broccoli or Brussels sprouts. You know it's good for you. <laughs> it's not really sure about where it all fits in. We see some people who are involved in a church on multiple levels and multiple ministries. Others, it's just, just an hour on Sunday morning. And most of us know that the church should be a part of a healthy, growing Christian life. But, but how much? How much do we get involved? But even more importantly, the question I want to answer this morning is why? Why should we belong to Jesus' family? Why should we belong to His church? And to get at that this morning, we want to explore and look in Acts chapter 2. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Now, while you're turning, let me kind of give you a little setting here. This is after the resurrection, several weeks. The disciples have seen the risen Jesus Christ. They've, they've been given his commission to make disciples. They've watched him ascend back to his heavenly Father. And now they're obeying him. They've been praying together and waiting on the Holy Spirit to come in power. It's a small group of them, about 120 or so. And the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and fills all them with the Spirit, and they, they split on the streets, and Peter, that, that impulsive fisherman, proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ to the crowd that is, that is gathered there. And when they hear about this Jesus, the Bible says they were cut to the heart, and they say, what shall we do? And he says, here's what you do. You repent of your sin, you believe in Jesus, and you, you be baptized. They heard that message and that appeal. And then I want you to see what they did next. Tyler Porter is going to come and read our scripture for us. We're in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. Verse 41. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 41. And Tyler, you go ahead and read that for us. So those who received this word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you. You may be 
repeated. You can pull out that worship guide with the uh, outline on it or some other way to take notes on the church app. We'll look at that. But let me show you what, what's here. What we have here is a snapshot of the, the first church, the gathering of the disciples. Now, now, what we have here, there are five aspects of their life together described here. And we're using these five aspects of their life together, kind of gospel impulses of their life, to describe our life together, what we're calling a disciple's pathway. We want to define the life of every single, and the involvement of every single believer here at Living Hope. And so the disciples' pathway first includes that they were to worship. They were going to encounter Living Hope. You notice it says that they, they had the Lord's Supper together, and they prayed together. They were meeting in the temple together, praising God together. So there was a life of worship that was there. The second impulse was to connect with those in the faith family. Day by day, they were meeting together. They met in their homes. They shared meals. They did life together with one another as they served Christ. The third impulse is to serve, to give living hope. There were those in their faith family who had needs, and they found a way to meet those needs and to serve one another's needs in those ways. There's other ways there, too. Those who were preparing meals or those opening their homes. There was lots of serving tucked in the middle of of those verses. The fourth uh, impulse here of this pathway is to equip, to develop living hope. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so they, they committed to know God's Word, know how to know it and apply it and, and learn it and begin to live that out. And all those things with the goal of the fifth part of this, to multiply, to spread living hope to more and more people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They had respect and love in the community where they were. And we see this in the early church. And here's our heartbeat here. Our heartbeat is that everybody who's a member of Living Hope would, would find themselves committed in these five ways. If you would worship and connect with a group, that you would serve in some way in the church or, or in the kingdom, that you would be equipped by knowing God's Word and be trained how to live out aspects of His mission so that we might multiply and spread living hope into our community. We want that for every member. And all those things are crucial to the growth of an individual disciple. But I want you to notice the fiber that holds all this together. If you read through this passage, it says, beginning in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles, to the fellowship, to their gathering, all came upon every soul. Verse 44, all who believed were together, had all things in common. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse, uh, verse 46 there, and day by day attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. The Lord added to their number. Throughout this, there is the, there is the, the constant language of we. There is the power of their life together. Together saturates the idea of disciples and their life together in the church. So that helps to get at this question we're trying to answer this morning. Why belong to Jesus' family? Well, the first thing is this. Why belong to Jesus' family? Because belonging is inseparable from believing in Jesus. Belonging is inseparable from believing in Jesus. Look at verse 41. You kind of see the pattern here and kind of where this series come from that Pastor Jason was reminding us of. Hope is alive. Jesus is alive. So, first of all, those who received His Word, we believe. 
We trust Jesus to be our Savior and the only hope for our souls in a relationship with the Lord. You remember, we said it's important to come to the point where you doubt your doubts and believe your belief. And all the things that are really important. But then there's the second thing, which we talked about last Sunday. They were baptized. They were baptized. We talked about having an experience of the resurrection, not the head knowledge of it, but an experience of it. So in baptism, we're expressing our experience of His life in us. But don't miss the next little word in this verse, and. And. Little words mean a lot in the Scripture. And. It directly connects to what came before. There's no separation here. They were, they were, they believed. They were baptized. Now they belong. They were added to that day to their number. So these new believers were immediately immersed in the spiritual community of the church. They went from 120 in a locked room praying to 3,120 all across Jerusalem like that. They became a part of that little church. Now here's the thing. When you step across the line of faith in Jesus, you immediately step into the family of Jesus. Yes, Jesus died and rose to save individual sinners, but His purpose always was to form a people. Those who were His people. And so you look and see this in Titus. What He says to us is, Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession. He was zealous for good works. He says, you're my treasured possession. In Ephesians 2, He describes it as Jesus beginning kind of a new humanity, a new family. So listen to this in Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, You were separated from Christ, alienated from citizenship with Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you once were far off and been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household or the family of God. So when you came into Christ and trusted Him, you moved from being a stranger and outsider to the things of God, to the people of God, so that now you're a fellow citizen and you're a member of His family. And here's what this reminds us. That our relationship with Jesus is personal, but it's never meant to be private. He always had to put us into a people. Now, the Bible refers to the, this people of God, this church, in two ways. First of all, there's the universal church, the big C church. This is all people at all times and all places who have repented of sin and trusted Christ alone, submitted to Him as their King. This crosses history and, and denominational lines. It's a spiritual reality largely unseen uh, to us. Did you hear about the Methodists and Presbyterian and Pentecostal who went to heaven. St. Peter's given them a tour around. They come by this one part of heaven. There's these big tall walls and they could hear people singing Amazing Grace and they could smell fried chicken. And they said, St. Peter, who are those people behind there? He said, oh, those are the Baptists. They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> We're not going to be the only ones there. You know, there's this, there's this hidden group, this hidden church this big, huge, universal church. But when the Bible mostly talks about church, it talks about little C church, a local church, a gathering of believers in a local place, people you can see and be seen and, and know and be known like, like living hope. So the expectation is this, that anybody who trusts Jesus will belong to 
a local church. Now, when you belong, when you become a member, it's not just a name on a list of, uh, of people, of an organization of religiously and morally like-minded people. It's not like a contract. Uh, you're not signing up to get religious services. That's just another form of individualism that I want what I want. I'll opt out if you don't do what I want you to do. No, we describe this membership as a covenant, a deep, sturdy commitment built on love for Jesus, his family, and his mission. When we're in covenant, what that means is we embrace both the privileges and the responsibilities of church membership. When we're in covenant, we're saying, I'm in, I'm in with Jesus and his family and his mission, and I'm in with you specifically in this place. In your worship this one, there's an insert there. There's a description of several folks who have joined our family uh, over the last little bit uh, by covenant membership. They've entered into covenant with us. And several of them are here with us this morning. Uh, we have uh, we have several at each service. We're going to have some that have joined with us. And uh, these folks are, are joining us this morning who have come and completed their membership requirements over the last three or four months. And uh, and we wanted just to you to see them uh, in front of you and for you to join me and welcome them as a part of our family. Would you help me welcome them as part of our family this morning? These folks have, have completed all the uh, membership qualities, and they have embraced our covenant as, as well. Uh, our covenant, as you're aware, describes kind of two aspects here. It describes the, the responsibilities and commitments of our elders and our leadership to provide spiritual protection and guidance and help and care. And then we as members have commitments, and we say, this is what we're, this is what we're in for. So we're going to put up on the screen kind of a, a shortened, kind of edited version of our covenant commitments. And I want you, if you're a covenant member here, to join with these folks. And let's read these out loud uh, together this morning. Let's read this together. We commit to one another, and we say we establish a covenant to glorify God and enjoy the God of our salvation together. And it says, we endeavor to make disciples of all nations. We maintain the unity of the Spirit. We support marriage as a reflection of Christ's relationship with His church. We consistently gather to worship God corporately. We contribute cheerfully and generously to the church and the kingdom. We strive to walk in wisdom and refrain from such activities the scriptures would deem foolish to live self-controlled and godly lives while anticipating the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here's what we say. We come to do all this in and because of Jesus. If you're a covenant member, that's still your affirmation. We just say, Amen. A lot shorter, isn't it? That's good. We're so glad these folks are here. We as we pray for them. We're praying for them. Father, we are grateful for these folks who have, have seen your heartbeat to connect them to this faith family. And we pray, Lord Jesus, and thank you for them. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for their testimonies. Thank you for your saving of them and putting them in who we are right at this point. And we're grateful, Lord, that because they're here, we're able to be more of who you're calling Living Hope to be in this season. And I pray you'd help us to love them well and to embrace them well and for us to enjoy and share the privilege of membership. And then we look forward as they embrace their responsibilities to join with us in the mission. So we're grateful for them, love them, bless them and their families, and we thank you for them in Jesus' name. Thank you all. We're so grateful, so glad that you're here with us and a part of our family. All right, so when we belong to the church, it's an escapement part of believing in Jesus. But the second thing I want you to see is this. 
why do we belong to Jesus' family? This is really important. Because belonging is essential to becoming like Jesus. It's essential to becoming like Jesus. Jesus' purpose for all Christians is the same. He wants to make us like Him. Remember, those 3,000 new church members, they they were thoroughly Jewish. They were lifelong Jews by heritage, by tradition for centuries and centuries. How would they ever change to become Christian people? Well, remember, the apostles had been given a commission by Jesus, go make disciples, do with others what I've been doing with you. For three years, they'd been apprenticed to him. And what he had been doing, he'd been teaching them his truth. He'd been influencing them and shaping their, their thinking and their attitudes and their behavior as they watched him and they learned from him and saw what he did and, and he trained them for his mission. All those things were together. It was very relational. It was very life on life as they were connecting to one another. So Jesus established this really important core principle that we want to see, and that's this, that life transformation happens through gospel intentional relationships in spiritual communities. Life transformation happens through gospel intentional relationships in spiritual communities. Now, spiritual community is his church, his family. But this life transformation we're talking about, not behavior modification, doing better, but becoming more and more like Jesus. So when the apostles saw people begin a relationship with Jesus, they invited them into the same sort of life that they had been enjoying with Jesus. Now let's get this really clear. It's important. When you belong to and you're a member of church, it's not like you're kind of it's not like kind of liking something on Facebook. I like it. Thumbs up, thumbs down. I watch, I see what's going on or what's going on. It's not like going to a buffet where you can ignore the vegetables and take only the chocolate pudding. It's not something you can only pick and choose what's there. When we belong to, we're members of the church, we're coming together. It is for the purpose of intentionally entering into the sort of connections that will help us help one another grow like Jesus and live out his mission in the world to become disciple-making disciples. It's what we're a part. Now, now why is that so important that we be connected with other believers? Well, becoming like Jesus involves obeying him, right? And we can't obey without one another. That's kind of weird. Well, listen, there are aspects of, of the Christian life that are simply impossible apart from a faith family. Not just hard, they're impossible. Let's just consider just one of Jesus' commands. John chapter 13, Jesus said this. He said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Love one another. Now, here's the deal. You can't love one another unless you have an another to love. You've got to have somebody else that you're in relationship with, you're connected with. And understand, this is not, this is not a Hallmark card thing. This is not rainbows and tulips. Have you hung around people very long? It's hard. It's messy sometimes. The Bible says when you love, you bear all things. That means you're going to be with another person who loves Jesus, who gets on your absolute last nerve. And you're going to have to have patience with them. You're going to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. Listen, there's junk and it's hard and it's difficult because guess what? We're still in process. We still have our flesh. We still battle sin. And it doesn't walk away. We walk through the doors of 1805 West and we bring it in here with us. 
It's a tough deal, but you've got to have that to love. And that's not to mention all the other one another's in the New Testament. Encourage one another. Be patient with one another. Show hospitality to one another. Pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. Build up one another. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. You can't do this without being in a relationship with other believers. And we can't just ignore those and claim, oh, I'm growing as a mature Christian. No, we've got to have others to grow to grow up. Because like Jesus not only involves obeying Him, it involves generously caring for other souls like Jesus. And we can't do that without each other either. You see, Jesus always goes beyond the surface of things. He never stops with, with our hallway conversations, you know, weather, sports, kids, right? And he goes, always goes beyond that, plunges deeper, deeper down to the heart, and he wants us to do the same. Now, the New Testament has a couple of pictures of, of our life together. One is it's family. We're brothers and sisters. We have a Heavenly Father. And you know what it's like with family? Family is who you're most yourself with. You're most honest and most real with the people that you're in a family with. But then also it describes us as the body of Christ. And he compares that in 1 Corinthians 12 to the human body. Listen to what he says about that. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. But just as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So yes, you're an individual, but when you come in, you're a part of the body of Christ. Our connection, you see, is not just about an address. It's not about programming or times we gather. He says it's always like sinews and veins and tissues and skin and cartilage. It goes down down deep, and you're a part of that. If you're a member here, you've been uniquely placed here by God in this time for His purposes. First Corinthians 12, 7 says, To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, there's something you have, some way you can express the heart of Jesus that meets some other person's need here that only you can bring to the table. And there's somebody else here who has only what you have that they need to be able to live and become like Jesus. That's the most basic. We're here and we care for one another. We care for not just the Sunday morning you. We care for the whole life you. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And we weep with those who weep. We're, we're bound together so that nobody walks alone in their walk with Christ. We're together in the mess and in the glory and in the good and the bad. Come like Jesus. We've got to have each other. It's where we obey. It's where we care for one another. But becoming like Jesus also involves centering all of life around the gospel. And we can't do that apart from each other either. You watch Jesus. He relentlessly focused on the gospel. And here's what he said. I'm, I'm the Father's Son, and I live for His glory. I live to proclaim His good news. I live, to, I live to release the catches and spread grace and, and reach and, and save the lost. Jesus knew who he was and why he was here. His identity and his actions were bound up in the gospel. So, we're called to live like Jesus. First John, we've been there, chapter 3, verse 6 says, if we claim to be his, we'll walk like Jesus did. We'll live a life just like Jesus lived. It means we'll find our identity and our actions 
Jonathan the gospel too. But here's the thing I've discovered. It's so easy on Sunday morning to do that. But Monday always shows up. And Thursday afternoon at 2 o'clock always shows up. And it's hard to begin to live that out. It's like everything in us and around us fights against living faithfully. We forget who we are and why we're here. How are we ever going to stay faithful to what He's calling us to do, who He's calling us to be? Andrew Peterson is a singer, songwriter. He's also an author. He's written a wonderful series of stories called The Wing Feather Saga. You especially ought to get it and read it if you have children at home. It's great for anybody. Wings of the Saga is the story of the three Igadi children, Jenner and Kalmar and Laylee, who've been fighting against the, with the people of the Green Hollows against an awful monster called Nag the Nameless and his army that he called Fangs. For years, the Fangs had captured good people and changed their names and transformed them into unrecognizable and untamed monsters. They were, they were so controlled for his purposes that they totally forgot who they were, who they'd ever been before. The children didn't know any of this until they met a tree princess named Arundel who told them the story of their father. She said, there's a healing that comes in remembering and it causes much, much pain. She said, the untamed are those who refuse to remember. Many of them hide in the wild and never speak again. But some allow me to lead them into the forest of memory. They come to know their true names again and find some measure of peace. The father was sort of like that. Jenner, who was the oldest, said, So once someone remembers their true name, they're cured? And she said, I wish it were so. But we all forget from time to time. And so we need each other to tell us our stories. Sometimes a story is the only way back from the darkness. You forget too, they said. He said, oh yes. So what do you do when somebody forgets? He said, when they forget, we send pleaders to find them in the reaches of the black wood. Now don't miss that. We all forget from time to time. But to be honest, living for Jesus, living the gospel, is hard. It's just hard. It's, the world is confusing. And temptations are so strong and sin is so appealing and, and idols are so attractive and we get deceived and we get foggy on things and we can't see how Jesus matches with this part of our life and we want to believe and say, help my unbelief, will somebody help me to believe and to live this out? And remember what we need. We need each other to tell us our story. Some of the stories the only way back from the darkness and we have the greatest story of all, right? the story of, of the gospel. And we need somebody to come pleading to us and to say, remember who you are. When you're caught in temptation or you're confused, you don't know where to go. You're a son of the king. You're a, you're a daughter of God. Remember your story. You've been rescued and you've been forgiven. You have the power of the Spirit inside you to live the life He's called you to live. You have riches and glory beyond what you can imagine. It's more than enough for what you need. There's a cross for that sin. There's an empty tomb for that dead place in you. There's more than enough. We try to help us remember. Some call that gospel encouragement and accountability, but it's exactly what Hebrews talks about. In Hebrews chapter 3, look what it says. The Bible says this in Hebrews 3. Take care, brothers, lest any, there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, 
so that none is hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He goes on and says, this is what it means for us to begin to live that out. We have come to share in Christ. This is what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be where we're together helping each other. Now, let me ask you, do you have anybody here who knows your walk with Christ, including when you wander, including when you struggle, and you come pleading to tell you your story in the dark? Do you have anybody like that? This is why we urge you to get involved in a small group. This is why we're retooling our whole approach to group life and graduating our small groups to what we're calling connect groups because Jesus means for us to become like Him. And the way we become like Him, life transformation, is through gospel-intentional relationships in spiritual community. We belong because it's, it's, it's a part of believing. We belong because it's essential to becoming like Jesus. And then knows this. We belong because belonging is entwined with the eternal purposes of Jesus. Everybody wants to live a life that matters. Everybody wants to live a life that matters. Nobody wants to mark time throughout life. You know, be born in one hospital, die in another one, try hard not to mess it up, too bad in between, right? Nobody wants to live a life like that. The world has all kinds of ideas about what it means for you to live a life of meaning. But did you notice what happened in the shared life of the church in Acts? They saw God working miracles. They were respecting their community. But verse 47 says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They weren't just signing up. These were people who were, who were anchoring their life and their hope in Jesus. These are people whose eternal destinies were being changed and brought from death to life simply because the church was being the church. Now listen, it's been said that the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And the only way that's true, the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world only because hope is a person and he's alive and his name is Jesus. And that's all we've got. we got nothing. We got nothing else on. We got, we're, we're not snappy enough. We're not sharp enough. We're not cool enough. We don't go along with the culture enough. All we've got to offer anybody that rescues them is Jesus, and that's more than enough. All we've got is Him. Now, you want to live a life that matters? Then get yourself and fully belong to the church. Pursue Jesus, brothers and sisters, and invest and connect with the global purposes, because everybody you and I know will be alive somewhere a hundred years from today, either in paradise in glory with Jesus, or in the torments of hell with Satan. Somewhere they're going to be alive. And, and they definitely need to be rescued by Jesus now. That's why we're going after the 1% of our community. We go after that in some way. You read between the lines of Acts 2, and you find there's, there's some people there in and out that they're moving through, and they're all doing something. They've got something to give. They're hosting, or they're cooking a meal, or they're telling somebody about Jesus, or they're praying, or they're studying. It took all of them to accomplish what, what God had in mind. God saved you and brought you here right now to Living Hope because you have a part to play in what God's doing right now at Living Hope. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that we're saved by grace, but then it says that, that, that we are... We are His workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But something God intends for you to do as a part of this faith family, as a part of His great redemptive mission, He's got you here right now. It's like tossing rocks in the pool of the world and creating ripples. So you go down and you, you repeat the basics of faith to toddlers on a regular basis in our children's ministry. You're tossing rocks, creating ripples. 
you're, you're, you engage with a small group of middle school students or high school students or college students, you're creating ripples. You worship with a full passion because we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You're tossing rocks and creating ripples. You share Jesus where you live, work, learn, and play. You're creating ripples. You pray and give and go on mission. You're creating ripples. And when you add your ripples to the other ripples that we have, we create waves of Jesus' love and mercy and grace that people encounter and they're changed forever. Listen, Jesus calls His disciples to make disciples of all nations. But you and I can't make disciples of all nations on our own. We've got to have the church to live your purpose and live a life of matters. So see the beauty of Jesus' plan? It's just believe, be baptized, and belong because life is just better connected. Life transformation happens in these kind of gospel intentional relationships. So what do you do? Some of you here this morning, you need to come here and pray in a moment because you need to be a, you're part of, be sure you're a part of Jesus' big C church. It's time for you to step across the line of faith and repent of sin and trust Christ alone to be your Savior. That you need to follow Him in baptism and express that publicly. Those of you who are here and you've been dating us for months, maybe years, you attend, you call us your church, but the facts are you don't belong. You're not connected with us intentionally. It's time. It's time. You come here and pray about that. And you walk right out here into the lobby, into the dugout, and you sign up for Discovering Hope. So I'll be there next Sunday. And take that next step and be intentional. If some of you are members, and your name's on a, on a list, but you have a small portion of church on your life plate. You nibble for an hour or so on Sunday morning, but there's not much else that you're engaged with. Listen, there are people who need you in this faith family, and there's people that you desperately need in this faith family. Part of the mission is awaiting you to get connected more than just an hour on Sunday. So, you need to come and pray about what it's going to look like for you to step further in, to pursue involvement with the group, to find a place to serve, to get engaged with our family, to take the initiative that is there. No matter what you do, here's what you're going to find. In our Living Hope family, we're still growing up. Sometimes we're a mess. We don't nearly have our act together at all. But grace is bigger and Jesus is faithful and He loves us. Here's what we would just love. We would love for you to join us all as we link arms on the journey home as we pursue Jesus' beautiful life together. Because you see, it really is true. The life, the Christian life, is just better together. Let's pray together. Let's stand. Let's pray. So, Lord, you see our hearts. You see us as individuals. You know us for who we are. Lord, you designed us to be a part of your family. So in these moments, would you remind us, Lord, of what that looks like for us? And would you show us maybe what that next step looks like? Maybe to believe for the first time, to express baptism because hope is alive. But maybe it's to belong and be in with this living hope faith family like we never have before. 
Show us what that looks like. Help us to obey your prompting. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.